0: Uh, I, I want to talk to you this morning about conquering, conquering communities. It's kind of a strange title, but I think it'll make sense as we move through this. We're going to begin by looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to talk today about some family things. There's no way I can cover all of this in the, in the time that we have today, um, but I wanted, I wanted us to begin... The year, um, our kind of reading schedule is kind of already fractured. We'll get back to it next week by reading, Jeremiah, talking from Jeremiah. But um, I, I, there's so much going on in the world today that is a, uh, a focused attack on the foundational elements of culture. And that foundational element of our culture is the smallest of communities, and that's a family. Now, there's all sorts of different families represented here. There'd be people who are alone, whose family is extended. There are, are, uh, I have to stop and think, I want to do a census in my head, but there are people who are unmarried here, who are still in, Connected maybe with their parents and larger family. or maybe folks who are here without your your children or without your parents or without your siblings. Um, regardless, and we'll connect all of these dots together in a little bit about, the, about communities. Is it any wonder that one of the greatest celebrations for all believers around the world is the birth of a child? We're dealing with that right now in this Christmas season. And, um, because there, there is nothing greater that can happen than the, the bringing of a new, a new life that can honor God. Um, obviously that's important because before that little one can be born a second time, they must first be born the first time. Makes sense. There's no opportunity for regeneration unless there's been generation in the first place. So, um, men, a man and a woman and children are, are the foundations of all culture and all society. And because of that, they're the foundations of the church. We have, well... What we want to do today, I want some things I want to talk to you about, is kind of put some meat on all of that. Especially when we have so many young young families with, um, in our fellowship. Part of that uh, communication and discussion and nurturing and discipleship, if we can use that word, is to come from the older members of our fellowship to the younger members of our fellowship. And part of what we're going to be talking about today is avoiding being isolated. We, we, you, you, we, you, your family, you cannot exist by yourself. You need other believers. Um, and whether it's a, whether it's some apocalyptic event, you know. If, if you think you're going to go out in the woods and live, uh, you know, good luck. Uh, I hope you don't need a dentist or a doctor. Uh, you'll find out that the trees don't talk back. It's hard to have communion. We were made to be in fellowship. So we want, we want to avoid that isolation. So, it, And the family's foundation of the church. And that's one of the reasons that there is, um, what I believe is a, uh, 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 what's the word I want? I can't think of the word I want. A focused, deliberate attempt to destroy the family, to blur the lines between men and women and boys and girls and who can marry. Because the more confusion there is, the less stable will be the culture. And the more folks who call themselves believers buy into all of that foolishness, diabolical foolishness, the less stable will be the church of Jesus Christ. If, it, if in those instances it is in fact the church of Jesus Christ. So, let's, I'm going to read a couple of scriptures and then we're going to talk about some things. Again, I can't cover everything this morning, so we're going to read um, chapter 6 of of Deuteronomy. We're going to begin with verse uh, 4, and we're going to read just a few verses, although if you want to read on, you can start with the first verse, but most definitely start with verse 4 and read through verse 25 to kind of get the whole picture. Verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We are monotheistic people. There's one God. Now we could talk about Trinitarian stuff. We'll do that some other time. But within the nature of the one God are three persons. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Not haphazardly. Diligently. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Now, those, those can be explicit, but what we've got in those phrases is a kind of a a generality, a, a general command for us, so to speak, guidance for us, that those are the things we're to talk about. That's what's important. A family sitting around in their living room, each with their earbuds in, listening to four or five different things, is not communicated in this scripture. Nor one that gathers every evening to watch television. Okay? Is there a time for that? Perhaps, but only after this is done, because this is what God's command is. It says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house, and on your gates. And once again, you know, there are, there are people who take that literally, and so they have a little box of scripture strapped to their forehead. Um, that's, yeah, that's okay. But this is probably just to illustrate the fact, That this is what's supposed to be important. What? God's commands. And He gives us His first command before He ever tells us about the other commands. He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your might. Verse, uh, we'll skip on down to verse 20. And when your son asks you in time to come, What is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And I won't read the rest of that, because it's basically a reiteration of the Exodus story. The point here is, is that we're to do things that cause questions for for those who do not know. It, 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 It applies to our children, those that we're raising. It also applies to those who are peers, which is why in the New Testament it tells us, Be ready always to give an answer to whom? any man for the reason or the hope that lies within you so we are to be a constant testimony our going out our coming in is to be a constant testimony to the Lord to his grace and to his goodness now uh, let's skip over into the New Testament which is going to be a big skip because we're going to go clear to the book of Ephesians (laughs) If you've got a Bible with big print, that's a lot of pages, okay? If you have a scrolling device, you might make your finger tired, I don't know. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to read, uh, once again, a few more verses. If, if I was going to have you read all of this, I would have you start probably at the chap- beginning of chapter 5, and read down through at least verse 4 of chapter 6. Remember, again, as we read Scripture, sometimes the thought continues through chapters. That those were put in, that's artificial, that's not what was in the letter. So um, this whole concept about how we're to behave starts to some degree in chapter 5 and continues on. Verse 22 says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. His body... And is himself its Savior. Now the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Um, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, so that she might be holy However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment, with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, um, again there's more there to read and, and we, we can't break all of that down today but I wanted to kind of give you a background here it, it, it talks about a man and a woman and they becoming one flesh and sometimes it gets a little bit confusing and it goes in there because sometimes he uses marriage as a picture of what the union that we have with Christ is and other times he uses the union that we have with Christ as a picture of what marriage ought to be and, the, and they, go back to, they go back and forth they are not the same thing an earthly marriage is not the same thing. He's using it to to make a point. So don't get the don't get the whole thing confused. We have to be a little sophisticated in our thinking. So I want to I want to give you several words here, uh, based upon these scriptures and based upon my experience. Again, we can't cover all of it. I hope it's a point for for discussion as you m- move forward with your. Spouse with your larger family. Uh, maybe it can be a point of, of planning if you're thinking about children or you're, you're planning on marriage. So, um, let me give you some words. Number one is we're talking about children. Beware catechisms, confessions, creeds, and confirmations. Beware, catechisms, confessions, creeds, and confirmations. Now, none of those things are wrong in themselves. But human beings have a tendency to get things off target. Um, I'm going to talk about the first three here, and then we'll talk about confirmations in a, in a second. These These things were created to provide for mental retention to the illiterate or to those who did not have the Scripture in their own language. There is a great problem in our churches. Um, I should never say that because there's more than one. But... uh, um, In some churches, these things become preeminent, and Scripture is not. As a matter of fact, some churches build their teaching of Scripture around these man-made documents. And that's backwards. I hope you can see that. So we have, over a period of time, codified some of these things and written them down. So that we can understand them and it's great for adults. It's great for an adult. If you understand the, the scriptural basis of those things and, and you quote a point from one of the catechisms and, and you can define it and explain it good, then you've got something very concise and powerful that you can state. But be careful teaching those things to kids in absence of this book. The thing that kids should be taught from is this book. Every wedding that I have done for the past several decades, I have printed the thing out, and I actually have a wedding Bible, because it, it wore out. I couldn't, the pages were coming out of it, and uh, it was just the perfect size, and it, and it, this thing would break my arm. I'm getting too old to c- carry this thing around. So it was the perfect size to put a folded piece of paper in. And when I stand before people and marry them, and some of you I've married and say, Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today in the sight of God and the face of his company, and I'm reading it, I'm reading it off a piece of paper, and I'm holding in front of people the Bible. When we taught our Sunday school teachers years ago, when I was involved in Sunday school and worked worked in our Sunday school departments in other churches, I taught our people. I said, "Listen, don't stand in front of your children and teach them out of a Sunday school quarterly. Hold your Bible and teach them. If you have to have notes, put the notes in your Bible. We want we want our kids to know that the answer is in this book." I've got to get back to my notes. The source of all doctrine is Scripture. So we go there first, and we go there with explanation. Again, be ready always to give an answer. And that's why we read in Deuteronomy when it says, Dad, why do we have this thing here? Why is this monument here? He says, Because this is, and then he explains why that monument is there, because it's to remember the greatness and the goodness of God, and it always goes back. To the Lord. So we explain. So when your child says, well, why don't we take the Lord's name in vain? That we give them an answer. We read Scripture. It says, thou shalt not take the, the, the name of the Lord thy God in vain. We read that in Exodus chapter 20. So why don't we do that? Well, because God says, number one. Number two, because it dishonors God. And we don't want to dishonor God. Um, here's, here's another thing. I have no authority to curse anything in the name of God. I do not have the authority to use God's name in that way. I have the authority to pray and use the Lord's name, but even then I'm not to get involved in vain repetition. How many of you are still with me here on this? Okay, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just checking. <laughs> Say, well, why don't we use other obscenities? Well, because they're empty words. And we're challenged in Scripture not to let our mouth be filled with vanity and vain words. We're also told that, that, out, of, that, that our mouth come, out of our mouth comes the issues of our heart. And that we'll be judged by our idle words. So we don't use empty words because that betrays either ignorance or, or a lack of emotional control. And our goal here is to grow and learn so that we can have real adjectives that actually mean something. If you're out there, say amen. Um, I once had a fellow cuss in my presence and he said, I'm sorry. I said, it's all right, it's not my name. I don't know if he got the point. I don't think he did. He wasn't smart enough to think about it in the first place, maybe he did so we and that that's just that's just one example, and so we we tell kids here's here's why here's what we do, and here's why and then later, when they get older and they want to codify all of this, then you can. You can show them these documents, these, these confessions and, and creeds, um, and, and explain to them, here's, here's a concise way to say all these things. Let me talk to you for a minute about confirmation. Religion loves ritual. Um beware ritual a ritual is a natural natural is a good word for it if you if you can follow along with me here is a natural source of encouragement and comfort and it can remind us of god 's grace, his love, his strength, etc but The vast majority of the time, it begins to focus our attention on the carnal things. You may get a lump in your throat when you hear the National Anthem, or when you say the Pledge of Allegiance, or maybe even your school song. Okay, That's completely natural. It's not spiritual in the least bit. That's an emotional response that you've gotten to a ritual. Um, religion, as I mentioned earlier, loves ritual. And because of that, it provides it. Um, it may not be of God, it may be a false sense, or provide a false sense of security or be a false source of security. Rituals almost always end up replacing the thing they were meant to represent. Now later on today, we're going to partake of communion. It's a commanded thing that we're to do. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. We're commanded to remember Christ when when we partake of this. And that's, that's a religious ritual. And it's one that we're commanded to do. If we do this and Christ isn't the focus, if communion is the focus, then we have missed it altogether. And we have a terrible trend in our culture now of people leaving what I'm going to refer to as evangelical Christianity and returning to liturg- liturgical structures. Because they find in that a sense of stability and a sense of historicity. That's carnal. Listen to me. That's carnal. It displays a lack of faith. You say, well, I, now think, think this through with me. I want to go to a church with a big pipe organ and stained glass windows. And when they play the big pipe open, organ and open up all the stop, stops, I can feel the glory of God. That whole statement is, in an, is an spiritual absurdity. The glory of God is not in a pipe organ. It's not in stained glass. It's not in a building. All right. It's really quiet out here today. That's, yeah. All right. If you're still there, say amen. amen. All right. All right. I'll give you another C compliments. You're dealing with kids. If you compliment them on their looks, their size, their et cetera, you know, their appearance, oh, you got beautiful blue eyes, look at your wonderful hair, you know, or the one that really kills me, you're going to knock the girls off, you know, off of their feet. Or I bet the boys are all chasing after you. If you say that to a kid, shame on you. You have emphasized something in them that they have no control in whatsoever. And in so doing, you have neglected the thing that they do have control in, control over, and that's their character. So, if auntie or uncle comes up to little one and says, "Oh, you're so pretty," uh, you're, you know the boys are going to be chasing after you. Then you can say something wonderful like, "Yeah, they they are attractive, but what's more important is that they love the Lord Jesus." say I wouldn't say that to auntie say it to auntie auntie is wrong <laughs> so we we and then and he'd say well you know how do you compliment them on character well sometimes you have to wait <laughs> I mean you got to wait for the right opportunity don't you so and when it comes do it compliments uh Criticisms, okay? Let's remember that kids are kids. Pull them up gradually so that we don't exasperate them. That's what Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 says. Dads and moms don't make excuses for them though. Um, So dads are told not to exasperate them. We don't have that same sort of command for moms, but in my experiences moms make excuses. When you do that, you teach them that their poor behavior or lack of performance or whatever can be excused away. You also teach them that someone's there to go to bat for them if they've done a wrong thing. All right. All right, so... Um, catechisms confessions creeds confirmations confirmations slipped into rituals and then we got compliments and then we got criticisms and here's my last one conversion every child is a sinner (laughs) said a parent (laughs) so those of you uh those of you who are not yet parents will find this out, okay i 'm um, <laughs> not going to go into a lot of detail i 'm just going to base it base it on on uh, on scripture. The actions of our heart are not the cause. But the symptom. So we have to be very careful when we're nurturing and discipling our children that when we deal with their bad behavior, which we have to do at times, that we remember that their bad behavior is the symptom, not the real problem. The real problem is the heart that produced the behavior. The heart is desperately wicked above all things. And um, so we can't grandfather our kids into the kingdom. We can't teach them to be good and then kind of just let them morph into being believers. That's not conversion and that's one of the reasons that confirmation is a problem we go through a series of classes we recite the things that we're supposed to recite we we memorize the things we're supposed to memorize and we get all down through and then we go through this process that's supposed to be later confirmed when we or or later um, use the word confirmed I'm sorry to be confusing with it but but later confirmed when we actually really make a commitment So what we teach our children is that Jesus was very man and very God and he was sinless and that he died to redeem us from God's righteous wrath. And that that same God who loves us enough to send his son to die for us sends his Holy Spirit who draws us so that we understand this so that we can surrender and die to self. And surrender to his lordship. That's the salvation message. And it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, again, I'm going to close here. Um, There's lots of things that we couldn't say, uh, for sake of time, it's, it's, it's a huge subject. I wanted to hit some things that were kind of on the, on the top, at least from what I felt the Lord would have us, have us share here today as we move into the up, into the upcoming year. Um, there's more things that could be said. We have a lot of homeschoolers here. Good for you. Um, There's no way I'd send my kids to a secular school. Our schools, by the way, are not secular any longer. Secular means they're void of religious teaching. There is a religion there. And it's almost any religion except the one that worships the real true God. Say, well... I don't want my kids to be different. You want your kids to go to hell with everybody else? Is that what we're dealing with? No, you don't, and nobody does. Unfortunately, most folks don't understand that that's the kind of thing that we're dealing with. Now, there's again, there's more that could be said. I, I can't say any more, but my time's up, and our time is short here today we 'll say more about some of these things as we move through scripture. These things naturally come up and we 'll talk about them, the doctrines involved in them, and the practicalities involved in them as as they come up. Now, I want to say one more thing about this: I changed the title i, I I've got it now conquering communities because this family is the basis. We're not going to have a healthy church if we don't have healthy families. We're not going to have a healthy community if we don't have healthy churches with healthy families. And and so it's like stair steps or or a foundation and the families are the basis of all of that. And we're going to talk about that as we close and and we partake of communion together. We'll talk a little bit more about that, about community. But I crossed out here I know it's carnal, but I had so many C's, that's why I had to choose Conquering Communities as my title. But I crossed out imperfect parenting. Because there is no perfect parent. The only perfect parent is God the Father. Um say, well, why aren't we perfect in this? It's because, well, we learned from our parents, and our parents were wrong sometimes. Sometimes our parents were wrong, and we do exactly the opposite, and and the exact opposite is wrong. Sometimes our parents were right, but because we were carnal and unregenerate and rebellious, we don't want to do what's right. So, besides that, we make mistakes. So... You say, well, I want to be the perfect parent. Well, of course you do, but you won't be. Except to say this, the perfect parent is one who's yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's not afraid to ask for forgiveness and repentance, even of his children. Say, how can you do that? Well, how do they learn if you don't show it to them? So you say, well, uh, there's, you know, if you go to the bookstore, there's about a gazillion books. If, there is a, if you can find a bookstore, there's about a gazillion books written about parenting because it's important to parents. There's probably nothing that sobers up a person more than looking down at their child and saying, oh my goodness, what am I going to do for the next 18 years? You know? and i remember i always thought i always wanted my kids to talk and then when they did i was sorry <laughs> and and we wanted them to walk you know and you know the first steps were important everybody takes a video now of their with on your phone you couldn't do it when you know you couldn't do it earlier you had to have this big camera thing it had a vhs in it you know, you just want to take the until you realize that once they get to be walking, they can go anywhere. And it's all part of. Oh, it's it's all part of the process. Yeah, it is. Heavenly Father, thank you for your graciousness to us. Give us wisdom and grace. We know that the enemy hates you, and because you love us, he hates us. And because he hates us, he hates to see children grow in the fear and admonition that would cause them to be drawn to you. We know there's, right now, in our culture, a huge attack on the very basics of Familiar relationships. What's a man? What's a woman? I pray, Lord, you'll open the eyes of our country. I pray you'll have grace and mercy on those who mutilate their children. I also pray, Lord, you'll stop them one way or the other. I pray for our group that through the ups and downs, um, better or worse, as we say in the marriage ceremony, that everyone will know they're not alone. That these battles we fight, we fight as part of a great company. A conquering company. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.